Respect is to esteem and honor the real worth of others. We are to show respect to whom it is due. Fear can be an enslaving passion or a holy reverence and awe. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! I have often spoken about the lack of respect that is so prevalent both in our culture and in the game of baseball. As a matter of fact, Last week, the first episode of 2024, I addressed the issue. And I do so because it's troublesome for me to see and to consider how we got here as well as where we are headed if something doesn't change. At the core, to be disrespectful to others is to fail to acknowledge the real worth of a person who has been made in the image of God. On the other hand, We can have a problem of fearing a person or a group of people rather than fearing God. If we fear the Lord, we have a holy reverence and awe of him. So, in fearing King Jesus, we will show respect to all people, but we will not fear any of them. We will not fear what they may say about us or what they may do to us. Now, I believe that those who have been successful, who are successful and have been successful in any sphere of life, get this to one degree or another. Some get it because they know and believe the Word of God. Others, because they have been influenced, directly or indirectly, knowingly or less knowingly, by the teachings of Scripture. The most successful people, and in particular, the most successful leaders, implement a Respect all, fear none approach. In today's episode, I have a case in point. But before we get to that, I want to touch on a few things. First of all, I am happy to say that some pitchers and catchers have reported to spring training, and the rest will do so before this week is out. The Dodgers pitchers and catchers reported on Friday, the Padres on Sunday. And the reason those two teams arrived earlier than the other 28 is because they begin spring training games earlier. They play one another, actually, in the earliest spring training game. And the reason they're doing that is because they open the regular season earlier. The other 28 teams open up their regular season on Thursday, March 28th. But the Padres and Dodgers open up the season on March 20th. And they do so because they will be playing a two-game series in Seoul, South Korea. Over the past week, I have read, and I'm confident you probably have as well, that Jose Altuve signed a five-year extension with the Houston Astros, and Clayton Kershaw signed a two-year deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think that makes it very likely that both of these men will play their entire careers with one team. I believe that's good for them, it's good for their organizations, it's good for the game of baseball. Also, what I believe is good for the game of baseball is what happened this offseason with Shohei Otani and the Dodgers. 
Last week, I ended the episode of In the Bullpen by saying that I can't apologize for others, but even if I could, I would not apologize for what happened this offseason with Otani and the Dodgers. I say that because some people were very upset with Shohei or the Dodgers or both. Not me. I think it's good for him. I think it's good for the Dodgers. I think it is good for baseball. And I saw some people saying, this is just another reason why we have to have a salary cap. No, we don't. No, we shouldn't. Finally, I have given thought to a number of ideas for the 2024 season of In the Bullpen as it regards maybe doing some new things, maybe doing some things more often than I have in the past. And one of the things I've given a lot of consideration to is, if you've been listening for any length of time, you know every single episode ends with, but that's a conversation for another day. And in the past, I have gone back and addressed some of those statements. In other words, I had the conversation on another day. But it has been an overwhelming minority of cases in which I have done so. I may this year try to continue that conversation relatively quickly, and maybe even each episode that I end that way, coming back and addressing it, like I just did with Shohei and the Dodgers. Another idea I have is to spend some episodes kind of focusing primarily on one thing, or maybe two things. And that's what I want to do today. I want to focus really on one thing. And it is something that I said in passing last week. I mentioned last week that Jim Leland had been elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame and that that was a great thing. And I spent some time last week talking about it. I want to spend the rest of the time this week doing so. So the announcement came in early December. And when I heard it, it was my second favorite announcement of all time regarding Jim Leland. He was elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Last week, I might have made a mistake. I might have said he was inducted and would be inducted. Technically, that's not true. He has been elected, and that was announced in December. He will be inducted, and that will be this summer. But the day that the announcement came out that he had been elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame, he appeared on MLB Network, and he was interviewed by Mark DeRosa, Harold Reynolds, and Tom Verducci. Listen to this exchange that took place between Mark DeRosa and Jim Leland. When did you know as a player, like, hey, I want to run the show at the front of the dugout? I knew early because I wasn't a good player. They kind of made that decision for me. I, man- I was manager at 26, which tells you you're not a very good player. So in 1971, I started my career. My minor league career helped me a lot. But I, I always had the urge to, I love the strategy of the game. I love the people. Uh, my father was one of 16. There's seven in our family. So I got to learn different personalities. I really believe that that helped me during my managerial career. I believe that wholeheartedly. So there are a few things that ought to jump out at us from that. First of all, the humility of Jim Leland as it regarded his playing ability. Secondly, his gratitude. His gratitude for the experiences he's had in life. His gratitude for his family and his upbringing. His gratitude for what he has been able to do professionally. And these are reasons why he is a Hall of Fame manager. Other reasons were found in that clip as well. He loves strategy and he loves people. And he understands the difference between people, the different personalities that the the players that he manages bring to the ballpark, bring to the field. 
Now, I mentioned that this is my second favorite announcement about Jim Leland. Before that announcement in December of 2023, however, this was my number two favorite announcement regarding Jim Leland. Jim Leland earned his baseball stripes in the Detroit Tigers organization, and after 42 years, he's finally gotten his call up to the big league team. Leland named manager of the Tigers Tuesday, a hiring that came less than 24 hours after the firing of Alan Trammell and more than four decades after Leland first signed with the franchise as a light-hitting catcher in 1963. Well known for his major league managerial stints in Pittsburgh, Florida, and Colorado, Leland learned his skippering trade in Tigers farm towns like Bristol, Tennessee, Clinton, Iowa, Lakeland, Florida. Leland hired by Detroit GM Dave Dombrowski, who also hired him in Florida. And it was with the Marlins that Leland led the fish to their first World Series title in 1997. Tigers, bad ball club for a long time, stocked with some young talent, getting better. I know very little about your ball club, and I say your ball club, and now part of my ball club. I don't really know a lot about it, to be honest with you. I don't really know a lot about the American League, but I assume that I will pick up on that rather quickly. Uh, I've, I've, I've already gotten quite a bit of information from Dave, and uh, it, it's hard to make a lot of comments about this team right now from my standpoint, because as I said, I really don't know a lot about it. So that announcement was made on October 4th, 2006. And again, just listening to Jim Leland, we can learn a lot about him. Maybe you already knew, but he began his career first as a player and then as a manager with the Detroit Tigers. So now he was returning to the organization where his professional career, both as a player and as a manager, got underway. You also heard that he had been successful prior to coming to Detroit. He spent 11 years in Pittsburgh. That's where he established himself as an outstanding manager. Then, as you heard, he went to the Marlins, won a World Series in 1997. And then he managed Colorado in 1999. And he has mentioned publicly on several occasions, he did not do a good job. He has apologized for that. But he had been out of the game as a manager from that job with the Rockies that concluded in 1999 until this announcement in 2006. You can see he is a straight shooter. He admitted what he didn't know. But at the same time, he wasn't scared. He wasn't scared about any of it, including that he was taking over a team that had struggled, and at times, I mean big time. He took that team over as a manager, and then he went on to manage that team from 2007 to 2013 and had a lot of success. Now, I mentioned something in last week's episode that I accidentally came across something this offseason, and it is a letter. A letter written by Jim Leland to his players. How I got this letter, where I got this letter, I have no earthly idea. But maybe it was a birthday present from somebody because the letter is dated January 3rd, 2006. And my birthday is January 3rd. So I have this letter on Detroit Tiger Letterhead, and it is a letter that Jim Leland sent out to his players. Again, he was hired just a few months before this. Spring training would start uh, five or six weeks after this. I want to read this letter and do so providing some commentary both for myself and with help from others. So here's how it kicks off. As the new manager of the Detroit Tigers, I want to share a few thoughts with you. Often I hear players use the phrase, I want to be a winner. That is something that is very easy to say. But does the player realize 
what it takes to do that. That is a key point. All things being equal, people would say, of course I want to be a winner. I want to win a World Series. The question is, do you realize what it takes to reach that level? And in some cases, people do realize what it takes, and they don't want to do what it takes. He goes on, Believe it or not, there is a simple formula for winning teams. It starts with good players, and the Tigers have good players. Maybe some of you don't realize how good you are yet, but I do. So here you see Jim Leland taking over a team that had struggled and saying, here is the formula to be a winning team, to have good players. And he has said he's a Hall of Fame manager because he had great players. And then he's trying to instill confidence into players who had, some of them, been on a team that was very, very bad for a while. And he wants them to realize, and he's saying, I realize that you guys can play this game. He continues, it also takes great preparation, dedication, discipline, and desire to be the best. Competition is what motivates all good players, and you are a good player. It's not going to be easy. Great preparation, dedication, discipline, and desire. But you have what it takes. Competition is the motivating factor behind all good players, and I will add all good managers. Now, in what I've read so far, which is the first paragraph of the letter, it's a letter that has three paragraphs, you see his competitiveness. And his competitiveness is evident in this letter as it was on the field, in the dugout, in the clubhouse, and even during post-game press conferences. There should not have been a second inning rally. There was there's three outs. I've been in the game a long time. When the catcher catches the ball and it's strike three, you call the guy out. It's that simple, isn't it? I mean, you guys need to write something and hold people accountable. You know what? We're all accountable in this business. All of us are accountable. And when I say all of us, I mean everybody that's involved in the game needs to be held accountable. Okay? That's exactly what needs to be done. There should not have been a rally in that inning. Now, anybody that saw that, have the nerve to write what you saw and say it. Because I'm not going to sit here and rip umpires. But you saw what you saw, clearly saw what you saw. I just saw it for the tenth time. Clearly saw what you saw. Write it and say something once in a while. Have the nerve to say something. Now, next question. First, let me clear something up. The laughter you heard there was not going on at the time that the reporters were sitting in front of Jim Leland's desk talking to him. That clip came from an ESPN show in which the anchor was laughing in the background. Nobody's going to laugh when Jim Leland is doing that. Let's get back to the rant. It was a post-game rant because of a blown call, and it cost the Tigers the game. The Red Sox came back to win the game due to the bad call. But I love that. I love that passion. I love that competitiveness, even in a post-game interview. And I also loved his statement. Everybody involved in the game needs to be held accountable. Amen to that. That is true. It has always been true. The question is... Is it going on right now? Now, not only could Jim Leland rage at times, he could control that rage in an instant. And sometimes it happened in very interesting situations. Uh, It it was one of the most unusual things that you will ever see in a ball game. Right when the inning was over, Jim Leland got tossed by the home plate umpire 
James Hoy. Now, God Bless America is going to be played, so he takes the hat off and actually chills out for the rendition of Kate Smith's God Bless America. When God Bless America is over, boy, does he take off on James Hoy. And for him to just come out enraged and just to put it on hold for 30 seconds, it was amazing. It was more than 30 seconds. It's a, then when the song is finished. Then he goes. <laughs> now, the reason why he's arguing is because he had been thrown out of the game. Uh, I guess the Tigers were upset with Hoy's uh, strike zone today. The hitters are. And Bonderman was while he was on the mound. So, uh, Jimmy, getting his money's worth, I'll tell yeah. you that. But stopped on a dime when yeah. he heard Bob Shepard introducing right. God Bless America. Very respectful Yes, man. he is. So that happened at Yankee Stadium, and that is just classic Jim Leland. Fired up, God Bless America comes on, takes his hat off, stands still, it ends, and he goes right back at the umpire. And it reminds me, when I first got called up to the Pirates, Don Slott, everybody calls him Sluggo, he came up to me and he said, listen, if Jim comes into the clubhouse after a game, and airs us out, and then he leaves the room. Do not move. Don't get up and start getting undressed. Don't talk to the person next to you. Don't go get something to eat. Don't move unless I move. You watch me. He says, because Jim will leave, and you'll think he's done, and then he'll come back in the room. So I always kept my eyes glued on Sluggo whenever that happened. Now, returning to the letter, the second paragraph, he writes, I really don't give a rip, that's on-the-fly editing, about the White Sox, Indians, Twins, or Royals, not to mention the Red Sox and Yankees. I only care about my players. And he definitely did care about his players. Then he says, I respect all teams, but fear none of them. That's how you have to manage. That's how you have to play. Respect all teams and all players. Fear none of them. So as a pitcher, it didn't matter to me who was getting into the batter's box. It could be a batter who's hitting 120. It could be a pitcher getting into the batter's box who's never had a hit in his career. I was going to respect every person that stood in the box with a bat in his hand, but I was not going to fear any. And I had the privilege of facing a number of Hall of Famers. Jim Leland goes on. If we are concerned about who is pitching against us, we've already given in. If we are concerned about opposing hitters, they already have a leg up on us. Respect all, fear none. Now, I want to just say something. First of all, I agree with that, obviously. But here's the thing. This is where there's some danger. In some of the the meetings, not when I played, but when I was coaching, when I would sit in on some meetings before a series started, and going over the hitters and the pitchers, and in particular, I was in the pitchers' meeting, so going over the hitters, there was definitely an issue in which there was so much concern about the opposing hitters that they had a leg up on those pitchers. That there was, through all of the information given, a little bit of fear. I did not think that was good. Jim continues, If you are nervous, you are normal. If you are scared... You need to find a new line of work. Simple, clear, honest, accurate. He continues, I demand a lot from my players, yet I want my players totally relaxed and having fun. 
This is not life or death, but simply a competitive game. It is a great challenge to be the best. Again, he was a great manager because he did demand a lot from his players. But he also wanted his players to be relaxed and have fun. And part of the way that he reminded them of that is to say, listen, this is a competitive game and we want to win. We want to go out there and do all we can to win, but it is a game. It is not life and death. Now, as we open up the final paragraph, he writes, I am a very blunt, straightforward person, and I take great pride in being totally upfront with my players. Well, I think already we see that that is absolutely true, and I can tell you from experience that it is. He goes on. I made a lot of mistakes in my life, and I'm certainly not a perfect manager. I can, however, assure you that I will be in every game and in full support of you as my player. He indeed did that. He supported his players. And one of the big ways that he supported his players is by knowing his players. Congratulations, Jim. So well-deserved. When I think about you, you were one of the first I noticed as a manager during BP, you would walk the field. You'd go on the outfit. You put on your spikes, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) You'd walk the field. You made sure you literally touched the players, talked to them daily. Where'd you get that from? Why'd you do it? Well, I just think communication is such a big thing, and I need that. I I believe this. I truly believe this. Uh, uh, no matter how great the players are, and they are great, it's unbelievable the things they could do. But I do believe that even good major league players need a little reassurance. I think sometimes there's that you know inconsistency. Am I really good enough? Am I? Can I really stay here? Can I really play here? So I tried to pump guys up, but I just tried to get to know each guy because. You know, how you push the button on Mark might not be the same way you push the button on you. You have to learn that, and you learn that by having some kind of correspondence with him on a daily basis. I would encourage you to listen to that again. And it is true, he did. He would go out in the outfield, and he'd walk around, and he would just stop while you were shagging and talk to you. I don't recall him ever getting in my kitchen. He would stop by. He called me Admiral. He said, hey, Admiral, how you doing? How's the family doing? That kind of stuff. But here was some of the beauty of it. Not only getting to know his players, but if he did have to get in my kitchen because I did something that I shouldn't have done, if he calls me into his office, it automatically alerts the players something's going on, and then, of course, generates questions. But if he goes around the outfield and he does this, he's getting to know me. If he does have to get into my kitchen, nobody knows. And he did that with everybody. So he did it with Mark Dewey, and he did it with Andy Van Slyke. He said there, communication and understanding the player. He understood the humanity of the game. He still does, even though he's not managing. He cared about his players. And notice, he knew how to push the button on a player, not the button on a keyboard. Let's get back to the letter. He writes, I really admire the ability that all big league players have And being such a lousy player myself, I realize how hard it is to play this game. He does. And I remember one time he got tossed out of a game, and afterwards he said, you know, I'm sitting in my office watching the game, and boy, it sure does look easy on TV. But he understood the view is far different when you're sitting in the dugout, and even far different if you're Jay Bell at shortstop on artificial turf and Gary Sheffield hits a 110-mile-an-hour ball at you. He got it. He understood it. 
He continues, I can't tell you how much I am looking forward to being your manager. All I ask is that you give me a chance to prove myself. I'm not taking this job as a manager who was fortunate enough to be on a team that won a World Series. I'm accepting this job as a guy who is willing to work to earn your respect. His attitude, respect all, fear none. His attitude, I'm going to work to earn your respect. And then here's the closing line. In closing, remember, if you are chasing the money, you won't find your dream. If you're chasing your dream, you'll find the money. Sincerely, Jim Leland. I love that. He is, again, as we see, a very blunt, straightforward guy, totally upfront with his players. And he had that conversation or a conversation about that with Mark DeRosa. I, I, I go back to this. When I was named the, the manager at the WBC, the first phone call I made besides my wife was to sit for two hours. It was just such an amazing phone call. And you can just tell, I, I mean, you look at the prerequisites. Did you get the brutal truth and honesty, like, from your father, like you were saying, and the 16 family members? Is that, some, is that how you were raised and you wanted to carry that on? Uh, that's true. That's the way I was raised. But I, I will tell you this. If you mislead a player, uh, you lose him forever. If you tell him the truth, you lose him for about 24 hours. That is an absolutely true statement. And to show respect, to respect all is to speak the truth. Yes, they may be mad for a time. Yes, they may storm out of your office, whatever the case may be. But if you mislead them, if you lie to them, you can, and I think often do, lose that player forever. I believe you can take that statement to the bank. Jim Leland took it to the Hall of Fame as a manager. Now, I said that the announcement that Jim Leland had been hired as the Tigers manager in 2006 had been my second favorite announcement about Jim Leland. But the second favorite announcement is now the announcement back in December that he was elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. So therefore, the Tigers announcement now moves down to number three. That, of course, begs the question, what is my number one announcement as it regards Jim Leland? Well, it when it was when I was informed Jim Leland was going to be my manager. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for listening.